Welcome to the Avenue Community Church's podcast. We are a family of Christ followers seeking shalom in Memphis. We pray that you are encouraged by today's message. And as you listen, may the word of God shape you to be more like him. Well, good morning, Avenue. Um, uh, for those of you who don't know me, my name's Sam. And uh, okay, all right. Appreciate that gospel welcome. Um, when PT asked me to preach, my answer is always yes. But uh, he asked me if I would preach on this passage, 2 Corinthians 5.21. And, you know, it's one of those where you're like, uh, soft toss or even just put it on a tee. It's just, it's not moving a whole lot. It's right there. Uh, it's, it's what a, a preacher would say. It's a sweet spot. I don't have to read a hundred commentaries. Um, I just kind of got to look at the passage, pray and be with Jesus, and then get out of the way in a lot of ways. So uh, a friend this morning told me, give, give me Jesus. And I was like, that's, that's what you're going to get. That's all I got. Um, before we attempt to preach uh, this passage, once again, I'm just going to pray. Before we do that, this is what I want on your mind. We're going to look at the background of 2 Corinthians 5.21. We're going to look at the word reconciliation. Uh, Paul uses that word a lot in these few verses. And then we're going to look at the word adoption. So that's kind of where we're going. The background, reconciliation, and adoption. Uh, that'll frame our time together this morning. Let me pray for us. Uh, Father in heaven, uh, we're so grateful for Jesus, that he would reveal your heart to us, that you loved us so much that you gave us Jesus. You did not withhold him. Jesus, we're so grateful that you would love us, that you would lay your life down. No one took it from you. You told us, you lay it down in order to take it back up again. And in doing so, you take us with you. So thank you, Jesus, that you want to be with us forever. And Holy Spirit, thank you that you have brought us from death to life, from darkness to light, that you have poured the love of God out in our hearts so that we are able now to cry out, Abba, Father. Uh, through the storm, through the whatever, we are able to cry out, Father. So Lord, we uh, pause now just to say, do your work, do what only you can do. So minister to us by your word. Jesus, would you, by your spirit, be our teacher. We pray it in your precious name. Amen. Amen. So I don't know how many of you, you know, know the background of, of Corinthians, 2 Corinthians. I know PT preached through some of it uh, fairly recently, but if you're visiting with us, we're also very glad you're here. But if you're like me, I went to seminary and I still forget all the stuff that I studied. So I have to go back and look. I have the memory of a squirrel. And so uh, let me refresh you real quick. Paul planted this church in Corinth. And one of the reasons I love the Bible and believe it's true is because it ain't pretty. <laughs> if you know, you know what I'm saying about Corinth, Corinth has some people that were like me, uh, really uh, messed up. And even like I can hide some of my mess-ups better than them. They were out front, uh, on Front Street with it. I mean, they were on Jerry Springer. They had sexual immorality that, like, we ain't going to talk about here this morning. They had uh, divisions, backbiting. They had all kinds of stuff that we could get into. We don't have time this morning. Go back and look. Read 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians, and you're going to see some junk in there. Um, and I love that because, I mean, if Paul planted a church... Like, it should be good, right? I mean, Paul, the chief of sinners who still struggled himself, right? He's not some super Christian. Uh, Jesus is the only one who's super. 
<laughs> he's the only excellent one. So even Paul, when he's planting churches, it's full of, full of corruption, full of sinners who need God's grace, just like me. And uh, I think just like you, if you're honest. And so this is the context. There's this painful visit. There's this writing back and forth. There's several letters going back and forth. And Paul is starting from a context of grace because Jesus met Paul on that Damascus road when he was up to shenanigans. He was going to kill Christians or, or, or lock them up. And Jesus met Paul where he was. And so he writes to the Corinthians saying, you are chosen by God. You are holy. You're beloved. He's reminding them of their identity in Christ. And, and, and if it were me, I'd be like, what are y'all doing? You're killing me. <laughs> like, church, have you bumped your head? Y'all are crazy. Stop acting this way. But Paul starts with the context of grace. And now I, he's getting into, in 2 Corinthians 5, he's going to use the word reconciliation over and over again. But let, before we get there, let me just say this. There are people in Corinth who are denying uh, Paul's ministry. They're saying, we're not going to follow Paul. Because, here's why, this is kind of funny, Paul is struggling, he's suffering, and they see Paul's struggle, they see it as a sign that God is not blessing him, that God is not with him. So they see Paul suffering, and they think, I don't have to follow Paul. I don't want to follow Paul in suffering. And so Paul's actually telling them, no, don't deny the gospel. Y'all remember that whole cross thing? Like, the whole point is we follow a suffering Savior. Jesus suffered all over the place, but he suffered on the cross for us and as us. And so Paul is saying that my suffering doesn't discredit me from ministry. It actually authenticates the God's at work, the God's doing something. And so don't deny the gospel. Don't think that you're going to avoid suffering in this world. Follow me as I follow Christ, and Christ is the suffering servant. So buckle up, friends. You're going to suffer, but you're going to come out on the other side. All right? So that's the background. Paul is telling them to remember the cross. In other words, the way of Jesus, the highlight of Jesus revealing the Father's heart is the cross. Jesus' whole life was cruciform, which, mean, which means it took the, it took the shape of a cross. It, his whole life was a coming down. Right? He came in poor and lowly. He rode in on a little bitty baby donkey as a grown man. It kind of looked funny probably. And then he was put in a borrowed tomb. Right? He goes as low as possible. You see, what if, what if Jesus coming in service and humility, right? that's how he defined kingdom greatness. If you want to be great in the kingdom, he said become the servant of all. What if Jesus, coming in humility, coming in service, what if that is not a departure of the divine, but a revelation of it? What if that is God's way of showing, I am for you, so much so that I'm going to serve you, I'm not going to withhold my own son from you? In what ways has God not loved you? In what ways has Jesus not served you? This is how God reveals who he is. By becoming low. So Paul is wanting them to know, Hey, don't get it twisted. There might be some death, but there's going to be resurrection. So we can die daily knowing that we will be raised with Christ. The cruciform shape of the gospel. That's what Paul is getting at, and he doesn't want his people to forget it. That's the background. But let's look at reconciliation. So open up your Bible if you have it. You can put, turn to it on your phone. 
we, we're going to focus in on, on uh, verse 21, but to do that, I think it's helpful to go back to verse 14. Actually, let's look at, yeah, let's look at 14. So, for the love of Christ controls us because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died, and he died for all, so that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. From now on, we regard no one according to the flesh, even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh. We regard him this way no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ to be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him who knew no sin to be sin, that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Friends, you see what Paul's getting at. I mean, several times he throws out this big word, reconciliation. And I, I believe this is one of the most powerful summaries of the gospel in the entire Bible. Maybe rivaled only by, you know, John 3.16 or Philippians 2. This is one of those, like, wonderfully dense, compact um, summaries of the gospel. Paul wants you to know that God is reconciling the world to himself. And he's giving you the ministry of reconciliation, which means this. So I don't know how many sports fans we have in the room. Sorry, PT and I, we... For me, at least, everything's a sports analogy. It's kind of all I know. Sorry. Uh, not sorry. But uh, your number is being called. If you are a follower of Jesus, there is no sitting on the sidelines. Coach has said, get in the game. You're in. Because guess what? You have the Holy Spirit. So there is no sitting on the sideline. There is, you are not passively participating, which doesn't make sense. You are actively participating in this the reconciliation of all things under Jesus, all right? That's where this train is going, and you are on that train if you're in Jesus, okay? So he is, he is not counting your junk, and positively, he's giving you this message of reconciliation. And you might be thinking, well, you know, it's a great message, but I'm not the greatest messenger. You know, you might be thinking this morning, you know, thankful for PT. That brother can preach the lights out. That ain't me. I do not have the gift of witnessing. And again, I would tell you, uh, not so fast. If you can speak or use sign language, if you can open your mouth and bear witness to the fact that Jesus loves you, then you are his witnesses. Okay? Let me tell you something. If we view witnessing as you got to go to seminary and Bible thump people and get them up on your level, that's not going to be good for you, Pharisee. And it's not going to be good for the people you're talking to. If you view witnessing as you got to get up here on my level, here's how, all the ways you're wrong, you're not a witness. You're a jerk. Sorry. I'm a jerk if I'm viewing witnessing like that. I am judgmental. However, if I view witnessing like this, I have a table. I have some gifts that God gave me. I just want to share my life. I want to share my experience. I want to tell you that Jesus loves this 
moron, and I believe he loves you too. If, do you see that? The, the pressure's off. I don't have to convince anybody of anything. People will argue the Bible all day long. People will look at theology and pick it apart. They will, they will argue what you think all day long. Most people will not argue your own experience. Some will, but most won't because you are the expert on you. <laughs> I'm not even very good at that, but I, I, I'm me more than you are, okay? And so I can talk about me and how Jesus met me and how he loves me, and so can you. So Jesus is reconciling the world to himself, and one of the ways he does that, y'all, y'all, one of the ways he does that is through his people opening their mouths and witnessing to the love of Jesus. You get to partake in that, okay? And it's, it's amazing to me. Jesus could have, like, snapped his fingers and done it a hundred different ways because all authority is his, but he wants you to participate because it's actually good for you, and it reminds you that Jesus loves you, and that's a really healthy, wonderful place to be in. It's where you flourish, and you invite others into that flourishing. I could harp on that all day, but we got to keep moving. Paul says with total confidence that all of this is from God. This is not God doing some stuff and then us doing some stuff and flying off into the sunset. This is all from God, from A to Z, beginning to end, and everything in between. This is all from God. It is all of grace. Now, we are to live for him, yes, and we'll get into that. But we don't do that even on our own. That is God's grace at work in us. So one of my seminary professors used to shout this all the time. He was from Brazil, and he said, you're either a missionary or a mission field. And I was like, ooh, write that down. That might be on the test, you know. You're either a missionary or a mission field. So, friends, we get to participate in what God is doing. Get in the game. If you're not in the game yet, uh, consider this an invitation to get into it, to roll up your sleeves. And Paul is going to get into the nitty-gritty here. The good news of the gospel itself contains some bad news, like, Samuel, you're such a sinner that it took the Son of God to die for you. That's how serious your situation is, that you were dead in your trespasses and sins, that all have fallen short of the glory of God. So there's some bad news in it, but the way Paul talks about this, even the bad news is a positive. Watch this. He says, God does not count our trespasses against us. But he is entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Then he says in verse 21 that God made him who knew no sin, Jesus, that's Jesus. Jesus didn't know sin. He didn't experiment with it. He didn't play with it. He didn't touch it. He ran from it. He was not repelled by it in sinners. Remember Zacchaeus? He's a punk. Jesus runs to Zacchaeus before he changes, right? Jesus was not repelled by the sinfulness of others, but Jesus didn't toy with sin. So Jesus, who knew no sin, he actually becomes sin so that you and I might become the righteousness of God in him. So Paul said it like this. Now, if my little brother, my little brother's a Greek and Hebrew nerd, and I say that with all affection, he literally, um, he's getting another degree. Uh, study. He wants to translate the Bible into unknown people language groups, and I'm proud of him, love him to death. And he helps me all the time. I'm like, Mark, what do you think about this? And then he comes back with some knowledge. Um, that I, I can't even pronounce. So I'm, if he were here, he'd tell you that this is a mirror opposite. Um, so, so one of the things about studying the original Greek and Hebrew text, it, it keeps us from making dumb mistakes, but it also, sometimes we miss the translation stuff in our English Bibles. We miss some of the really cool stuff that's there, and here's, here's one of the things we miss. In the original language, if I were telling you to take notes, I'd tell you to write A, B, C, D, and then we're going to come back to C, B, A. Okay, so that's what, that's what Paul's writing. He says, A, him who never knew. 
That's how the, that's how the verse starts in, in Greek. Him who never knew. Well, who's that? That's Jesus who never experienced. Well, B, what did he never experience? Guilt. He never experienced guilt, rebellion, transgression, sin, whatever word you want to use. He never experienced guilt. C, for us, on our behalf. D, God made him, Jesus, guilty. Now we're going to go back to C, for us, B, godly innocence, A, in him. All right, if, if that just went over your head or if the Greek thing ain't your thing this morning, it's fine, totally fine, that's fine. Let me tell you what, how good it is, though. Here's, here's how good this is. Our guilt is mirrored by Christ's full innocence. That's what Paul's saying. Your guilt, Christ's innocence. That's what he's saying. So that when you look in the mirror, Christian, you can see Jesus is alive and well. Even if like, you don't feel like it. Your shame, your sin, Jesus' robes of righteousness. Your nakedness, his full clothing and the garments of salvation. I think Paul has in mind Isaiah 53, the suffering servant. I really do. I think, I think Paul's thinking of this. Paul writes in Isaiah 53, 9, Jesus, he didn't say Jesus, but that's who he's talking about. He said, he who had done no violence and there was no deceit in his mouth. In other words, when we talk about Jesus being righteous, the righteousness of God, think about it. He had no deeds that were harmful. Jesus had no deeds that were harmful or proved wrong. And he had no deceit in his mouth. His mouth was spitting truth. He was full of truth. He is the truth. In other words, as Luke would tell us, that Jesus is mighty in word and deed. Mighty in word and deed, fully loving God and fully loving his neighbor. This is the one who has made sin. And Isaiah 59, the next verse uh, 10 says, who God made an offering for his life for sin. You see, on the cross, Jesus is going to be treated as the greatest sinner of all. The one who never touched sin, who never dealt with it, so much so that if you were to ask, where is sin? Or God says, where is sin? Jesus is going to say, it's right here. It's all on me. Sin, if you read the Old Testament, you know it must be dealt with. It's got to be taken outside the gate, outside the camp. We don't want it to infect the community. Now think about it. If you watch the Bible Project, um, the one on justice, I think it is, but I can't remember exactly. But one of, the, one of the things he says is, we all want the world to be good. I mean, raise your hand if you want the world to be good, right? Everybody. Um, but if you want the world to be good, uh, you can't be in it. <laughs> I want the world to be good, but I can't be here if the world is going to be good, because I ain't good. There's no, no one righteous. There are none who do good. There's no one who seeks after God, Paul says. So we got a problem. Enter the solution. The only way that God can rid the world of evil and not get rid of you is to put it on his son. This is how God makes the world good. Christ is punished. Think about the most offensive thing you can think of. Man, we, 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 could, we could run up a laundry list of, of things that are so offensive and so repulsive and so gross that like just depress us. The most offensive thing you can think of, Christ is punished as that as a murderer, 
an adulterer. Fill in the blank. It all falls on Jesus. And back to Isaiah 53. Surely he has borne our griefs. He was wounded for our transgressions. And he was crushed for our iniquities. And by his wounds, we are healed. Y'all, Paul then says that because of that, we are now made the righteousness of God in him. You see, God looks upon us as we are as righteous as Jesus is. Y'all, what we're getting at is uh, two really big uh, theological terms. And um, one of them is substitutionary atonement and the other is double imputation. Now, if you're like me, you glaze over when people say big words. You're like, whatever that is. And um, you scratch your head. But let me tell you something. This is really good. I find it really amazing that I can go to my phone and I can transfer a little bit of money from my savings account to my checking account to pay that LGW bill and inflation and all that stuff. Like, man. And then it gives you like 16 numbers that you don't really read. But it's like, it's just to show you like transfer complete, right? Y'all seen this? Um, Well, Paul, multiple times in Corinthians, is going to say, you've been given the Holy Spirit. Your confirmation number is the Holy Spirit. Transfer complete. You belong to God. So live like it. Transfer complete. It's already been done. Substitutionary atonement. In the Old Testament, they would go before the altar and they would place a lamb on the altar and they would literally place their hand on the head of the lamb and then the blood would be shed and one old school writer said that Israelite might be thinking well did I lean in did I press in hard enough did I put my hand in the exact right spot he said none of that mattered none of that mattered the only thing that mattered was that that lamb died instead of you and your sin was forgiven that's what mattered That's Jesus, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world. That's what all that stuff was pointing to. Love covers a multitude of sin. Paul in Galatians 3 said, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. Cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree, as it is written. You see, God is fully holy and just. Yes, he's also fully loving. And so he can't just sweep my mess up under the rug and act like it don't exist. He's fully just. He does choose, however, to forgive and forget, right? He causes our sin not to be remembered. He chooses not to bring it back to mind. And he removes our transgressions as far as the east is from the west. He does that. But the only way he does that is by the full and final payment of his son. This is what atonement means. It means at one meant. At one again with God. Paid in full, transfer complete. So here's what that, okay, all that to say this. If you're in Jesus this morning, you can't be punished for your sin. You cannot be punished for your sin. It would be unjust for God to punish you for your sin. Here's what I'm saying. Punishment will not touch you because it already touched Jesus. God's wrath is not for you. It's already been taken care of. Now, whom the Lord loves, he disciplines. Like if my little man ran out in the street, he would get disciplined. But it wouldn't be a punishment and out of my anger hopefully. It would be out of, I love you, and I want you to live and flourish. There's a difference between punishment and discipline. To the degree that you're, this is a side note, parenting, I'm doing a parenting conference with some folks that I'm trying to learn about parenting myself because I don't know. And to the, the, one of my favorite authors on this, he says, to the degree that, you're punished, that your anger 
is involved in discipline, it is no longer discipline. Whom the Lord loves, he disciplines. Your discipline of your children will not go well for you if you're angry. But if you take a time out and you take a breath and you come back in love and you say, man, I really hate this. I'm for you, but like, we got to deal with this and here are the consequences. And I'm not mad at you. I love you. You're dis- then they, they don't freak out like dad lost his marbles. They're like, now I have to deal with this event. Here's the point. God is not angry at you if you're in Jesus. And that's really good news. God is rejoicing over you with singing. He's delighted in you. He loves you, and he wants you to flourish. And so he may discipline you, but he's not going to punish you. The punishment has already been taken on the cross. Now, I just want to tell you, I grew up thinking, Jesus died for me, so now it's up to me to live for him. And Paul even says that those who live might no no longer live for themselves, but live for him. So there's one sense in which this, this is true, that you are not to live for yourself, you're to live for Jesus. But don't get it twisted. Don't think, Jesus died for me, and now i got to go out here and live for him. Like somehow on your own, like you can actually do that. Apart from him and his grace, apart from his Holy Spirit working in you. So put it like this. Um, how many of you saw Dumb and Dumber? Showing you like my favorite movie ever, sorry. Uh, I remember watching Dumb and Dumber. Y'all know they found the money, the bag of money, the Samsonite, the, the thing. And they had a bunch of money in the briefcase, and they just started spending it like it was theirs. But then they thought, well, maybe we should keep some track receipts, I- IOUs. So they buy like a Lamborghini, and they write IOU. That's $130,000. You might want to hold on to that one, right? They had no intention of paying it back, and they had no re- ability to pay it back, right? So let's say you ran up a, a, a massive debt on your visa. Like, you, you got a credit card first time, and like they, for some reason they didn't give you any limits, and you just went crazy, right? You, you bought everything you wanted. I mean, Amazon, I mean, you bought a mansion, you bought, you bought all this stuff, and you have no ability to pay it back. And then somebody steps in and says, hey, you got a rich uncle who found out about your situation. He wants to take care of your debt. He's going to pay for it. Hallelujah. You'd be, you'd be like, hey, unk, thanks right? You would, you would receive that, right? You would be like, thank you. But I got a question for you. If somebody pays your debt, are you filthy rich beyond your wildest dreams? Just if they get you back to zero? Like he paid my debt. Now I'm back at zero. I don't owe anybody anything. But am I, am I wealthy beyond my wildest dreams? No. So yes, Jesus paid for your debt. All the stuff you did, you shouldn't have. All the stuff you should have done and you left undone, all your guilt, all your shame, Jesus wiped it out. Hallelujah. But guess what? It's even better than that. He gave you his bank account. He gave you his full credit. He gave you a check with his name signed on the bottom, and he said, fill it in whatever you need. He gave you his bank account, which means you're filthy rich in Jesus. And I'm not talking about 401k. Paul isn't talking about retirement. He's not talking about literal money. He's talking about something better. Here's the point. You get all of Jesus' righteousness. You get all of his love. You get his life. You get everything that he was good at, his mercy, his compassion, his justice. All that is yours in Jesus so that use your sanctified common sense, imagination. This might not happen exactly, but let's just say, my man Gus, you're going to get to heaven and you're going to walk in and Peter's going to be like, all right, name. Oh, I see it right here. And you're just going to be thinking, man, all I got is Jesus. And you're right. But you know what Peter's going to say? He's going to look at your name, Gustavo. He's going to be like, oh, says here, uh, the Sermon on the Mount. 
<laughs> Man, that was a good sermon you preached. And you're like, whoa, whoa, whoa. I mean, I, I, I might have done some vacation Bible school. I might have I done a Sunday school lesson on that, but that's not mine. Like, that's not original to me. And he's going to be honest. He's going to be like, and I didn't really live up to that whole Sermon on the Mount thing. There's some tough stuff in there. I didn't live up to it perfectly. And he'd be right because he's honest. But Peter would look at it and be like, no, no, no. It says that's yours. Right here. Enter in by your union with Jesus. Come on in. And then you would still be kind of like, what? And then Peter would be like, how do you think I got in? How do you think I got in here? Everything, Jesus didn't just die for you. He lived for you fully. So the righteousness of God that is in Jesus is yours because you're united to him. So have you ever been treated like something you're not? I mean, positively and negatively, probably, but let's stick on the positive for a second. I knew I wanted to marry my wife before this happened, but this actually helped a lot. Um, so I grew up loving the St. Louis Cardinals, and when I was in seminary, she got uh, some tickets to go see the Cardinals play. And so we go up, and uh, I'm just thinking, like, if we just get in the game, that's a win. Like, I don't care where they are. They can be in Big Mac land. They can be up in the nosebleeds. I don't care. I just want to be in the stadium hanging out. Little did I know, she contacted a guy I was working with in seminary and um, in, in, in classes with, and he grew up with a girl who married the second in charge at Anheuser-Busch. So if you know anything about St. Louis, and you know anything about the Cardinals, and you know anything about Anheuser-Busch, he owns that place. And uh, so we got four tickets, and they were Anheuser-Busch's seats. And so we got a parking pass, and we drove up like we owned the place. And they, like, escorted us through the bottom secret entrance, and we're going through. I'm like, this is the greatest thing ever. Like, I cannot, I'm just geeking out, smiling ear to ear, just t trying to take it all in. I mean, this was nuts. So then we sit down on the uh, first base side, about from me to the first row. I mean, Albert Pujols is right where you are, taking swings, and I'm just like, that dude's huge. I mean, let's go. I mean, it was nuts. I was, every inning... Some lady, nice lady, would come down and be like, sir, can I get you anything? I'm like, yeah, I'll take some peanuts and a hot dog and you can bring a beer. And I promise you, they were giving me gifts. They were literally showering me every inning with gifts. I did not pay for any of them. I didn't pay for the tickets. It was all grace. Now, how ridiculous would it be for me to be like, oh, you know what, in the third inning, I'm just going to go up to... I'm gonna, I'm going to get out my wallet, I'm going to walk up flights of stairs to the upper deck, and I'm going to start paying for peanuts. Who does that? No, you don't do that. You receive what God has given you. You take it, and you say thank you, and then you share it with the people on your row. And then somebody behind you wants something, you give it to them. Because you know more is coming, right? You know it's coming. And so you freely give as you freely receive. That's what was happening that's double imputation, that your debt is paid for, but now you're rich in Jesus. That's what it's talking about. Y'all, all right, we got to land this plane, but here we go. Before we get to adoption, I want you to understand, when you think about your identity in Jesus, you need to think about, I have all that I need for life and godliness in him. I don't need to go searching for it anywhere else. Yes, read books. Yes, study the scripture, because in, in there you'll find words of life. You'll find who Jesus is. Yes, do these, those, th those things. Yes, pray. But if you focus on prayer, you're actually forgetting the one you're praying to. Focus on Jesus, and then prayer will become more fun for you. 
right? So all those things, yes, read God's word, but focus on Jesus. Yes, be friends with God's people, but focus on Jesus. Yes, serve, but focus on Jesus. Your identity is in him. Don't get it twisted. That's how you can do everything that he's calling you to do is to rely on on his riches. And he'll give you what you need when you need it. Focus on him. All right. Adoption is this last thing we're going to talk about, and it is the, the sweet, sweet gospel word. The Bible talks about us being um, children of darkness, but because of Jesus, we are now children of light. We are transferred from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. We've been adopted. Uh, the Holy Spirit has poured the love of God in our hearts so that we might cry out, Abba, Father. We are now sons and daughters of God, heirs with Christ. Um, excuse me, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. So we belong to him. And so here's what I want you to think about. What do children do? What do children do? They do what they see their parents doing, <laughs> for good or bad. These little guys, I, sometimes I'm like, where did you get that? And then I'm like, they got it from me. <laughs> they got it from me. Um, I don't know about y'all, but I grew up watching um, Rocky and Karate Kid. I had two older brothers. And... Um, the problem with those movies, I'd go to my next-door neighbor's house, my best friend growing up, and we would watch Rocky IV like 100 times. I watched Daniel Russo, you know, Crane kick the dude in the nose. And I thought, like, well, I can do that because it's the underdog. It's the Hollywood ending every time the underdog wins. And I got two older brothers. I'm the underdog. So I get, I get this newfound confidence, and I go back home, and I'm like, you know, messing with my big brothers. And you know how that ended. I did not have the Hollywood ending. Right, because Daniel Russo has no authority and power to help me. Mr. Miyagi's awesome, but he he, he ain't my life. Right, and so uh, Rocky Balboa and his trainer Mick, they can't help me out when it comes to my brothers. But Jesus is my big brother, and he has all authority, and he can help me. And he's already fought for me, right? And so he he can help me in my uh, attempts to imitate God. Paul says it this way. Uh, In Ephesians 5, verse 1, he says, be imitators of God as beloved children. Paul knows that children imitate their parents. And so he's telling you, be imitators of God as beloved children. And he tells you what that looks like. And walk in love as Jesus Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. You know, that's one definition that Paul gives for love. He says to walk in love as Christ Jesus loved us and gave himself up for us. And so we are to be imitators of God, like Jesus, following him in self-giving love. That's what Paul's saying. Imitate him. So as you think about when you leave here today, you get to leave here not just with your debt canceled, but with your bank account full and with the presence of the Holy One, Jesus, with you so that you can follow him wherever he calls you and you can follow him in self-giving love. You can. You actually can because the Holy Spirit is alive and well. He's powerful. He's not weak. He's not the stepchild of the, of the Trinity. He's fully God. And he can meet you and help you wherever you are. Call on him. Ask him for help. So one more analogy, uh, and then we'll, we'll get to the table, the really good stuff here. So I don't know how many of you have seen uh, Chariots of Fire. It's a story of Eric Little, the track star, I think from Scotland. And at least in the movie, he runs, and he runs with his head up, and he's kind of got this goofy grin. And he's super fast. I mean, he's a track star. 
And if you go back and watch the movie, the movie does a really good job of um, contrasting Eric Little with one other runner. And I believe that runner's name is Harold Abrams. And in the movie, they ask, Harold Abrams is asked, like, why do you run? And he says, for 10 seconds, when that gun goes off, I have 10 seconds to justify my existence. And this brother doesn't smile in the whole movie. Like, he is not a happy camper. But he's fast, and he's running, and he's putting forth effort, and he's giving it all he got. Okay? Now, contrast that with you got another brother who is running and giving it all he's got, but he's doing it from a completely different place. He's not trying to justify himself. He's already talked to his sister and said, God made me fast, and when I run, I feel his pleasure. So one is saying, I got 10 seconds to justify my existence. The other is saying, God made me fast, and I love to run. Like, I just enjoy it. Friends, you have a choice as you leave today. Are you going to try to justify your existence? Are you going to try to say, God, I was worthy of saving. Look at all the stuff I'm doing. Good luck with that. Or you can say, God loves me, and I think he loves you too. And I want to run under his pleasure. Yes, you put forth effort. Yes, you give it all you got. But you do it under his smile. It's already paid for. So enjoy it. So if you're in Christ Jesus, you're more than conquerors. You can't lose. You can't lose. You lo- this table says you can't lose. You can't lose. And so it's like what David did with Goliath. He says the battle belongs to the Lord. These grown men are shaking in their boots. They can't go anywhere. They can't do anything. Nobody wants to fight Goliath. Nobody wants to step up. David says, God will do it. He does it. The giant falls. And then the army of Israel, they arise, they shout, and they pursue. They knew they had already won, so they got up and fought. Your champion has fought for you and won. So arise, shout, and fight. With him, you cannot lose. Let me pray for us. Jesus, thank you that you love us so much that you'd be willing not just to die for us, but live for us. That you'd be willing to give us all that we need. Help us to believe the gospel is bigger and better than we thought it was. And help us to be your ambassadors, your representatives, your witnesses. Help us to open our mouth and talk about your love so that other people will be welcomed into it. We ask these things in your precious name, Jesus. Amen.